0: This morning, I'm gonna start off by taking you back just just seven years to when I did my GCSEs. (laughs) A little bit longer than seven years, twenty years, believe it or not, you probably do believe it, since I did my GCSEs and the day I got my results. So I went into school with my dad. He took me to school and I went into the classroom and the teacher pulled my results out and there's a big smile on my teacher's face Chris, great set of results. Well done, you've done you've done yourself proud. And they, they were decent results. Not the best in the school, but all right. And uh, I got back into the car and showed them to my dad. He's like, Chris, well done, mate. Really proud of you. Great stuff. Let's go home and show your mum. We get home. My mum sat at the kitchen table. I hand her the results. <laughs> and she swears at me. <laughs> and she's not a sweary lady, but she swore. I was like, mum, what's wrong? She said, I had this big speech planned about how you hadn't worked hard enough. <laughs> and you hadn't revised enough. And I kept telling you you weren't working hard enough and now you just ruined that completely and I've got to tell you, well done. <laughs> and I was like, talk about a mixed reception. I, this was this was good news, I thought. And I just got this completely unexpected mixed reception from my own my own mother. She's a lovely woman, she's a very good mum. But on that day, interesting. Why am I talking about that? Well, today we're back in our book of Acts. We're, we're going through the book of Acts. And today we've got a story where we're going to see a very, very mixed reception so, what should be really, really good news. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, we had the story of Peter and John going to the temple and healing, seeing God heal a beggar, a guy who'd been born lame. He'd lived over 40 years unable to walk and was every day outside the temple. And Peter and John saw this amazing healing happen. And if you remember, we didn't go through quite in detail the second part of that chapter last week. But what happened is Peter And John went into the temple then with this beggar and they preached the gospel and really preached the gospel, really gave it to him both barrels. actually stood in the home of Judaism and said, this is what you guys did. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this, and by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name, and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. This incredibly brave moment from Peter, speaking in the temple. We talked about the transformation last week with me and Peter, how this behaviour is so different from just a couple of weeks before, even just before Pentecost. And today, we're going to carry on the story. What happens next? We've called this series, What Comes Next? So today, we're going to see what comes next after this amazing moment in the temple where Peter's confronted the Jews. We're going to go through verses 1 to 31. We're going to do it in three chunks. We're going to start with verses 1 to 4, if you've got that in your Bible. Let's read this together. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard... And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. It's still in this context of speaking and preaching in the courts. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail to the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men grew, uh, who believed grew to about 5,000. In this chapter, the what comes next is a very mixed bag. The key headlines are this. Peter and John have preached the gospel and they're immediately thrown into prison for the night. They're arrested. The, The Jewish authorities do not like what they're hearing. And so they're thrown into jail. Talk about a difficult reception. And yet, The flip side is that 2,000 people, 2,000 men were saved as a result of this message. 2,000, 2,000 on the spot. So on the one hand, this gospel message is the hottest ticket in town. It's all kicking off. People are just repenting and being saved on the spot because they hear this message saying, yes, this is true, I can see it, I believe it. And then at the same time, into jail, you go, we're not having this. I mean, can you imagine what 2,000 people added on the spot would look like for a church? I mean, I just think of the rotors. <laughs> like, chaos. I'm going to need some more kids workers fast. I'm going to need some more tea and coffee fast. Frankly, the fire regulations in here are out the window. The baptisms we did last week would still be going on now, and I dread to think the state of Christian tours hot tub by the end of that. You know, this this is drastic stuff. 2,000 people. It is amazing what God has done here. And yet, any joy that Peter and John have in that moment is immediately tempered by the fact that the authorities grab them, seize them, and throw them into a jail cell. And here, it's really apt that we've just had Kathy speaking as she did. We have here the very first piece of persecution of God's church. The immediate locking up of people for preaching the gospel. Our brothers and sisters, the 245 million people that Kathy just referred to, are in good company. Peter and John knew right from the outset the cost of preaching Jesus resurrected to people who would be offended by that message. And so the attempt is made to silence them before they do any more damage to the established religious practices and the power structure of that time. Dramatic stuff. Let's move on. We're going to go through to, to verses 5 to 22. Now we'll read them together and see what happens next. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. This assembly is basically known as the Sanhedrin. It's the ruling authority of the, the Jewish uh, religion at that time. Would have been about 70 odd people in all. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God Raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, much, by which we must be saved. Amen and amen. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men Have been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them Not uh, to no longer speak to anyone in this name. And then they called them again in and again commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. What came comes next, the story, actually reminds me of a clip, Neil, if you could get this clip on screen, hopefully. Just it gives me a little reminder of this. I love that clip. I really do. Because you've got an audience here, you didn't see it quite at the start there, but an audience that is full of prejudice and disregard. As soon as Susan Boyle Walked on that stage at Britain's Got Talent, they're judging her with her wild hair and her frumpy dress and not looking very glamorous and maybe a little bit odd in the way that she talks. In fact, actually, it's later been discovered that she she suffers from uh, Asperger's. And then she stands there and claims, I want to be a singer. I want to be like a Lane Page No, me neither. I don't know who Elaine Page is. I believe she's 70 odd now. Hands up if you know Elaine Page. Yeah, there's a good, yeah, I'm not going to go there. But, uh, (laughs) Elaine Page, I believe is a very famous and talented singer. But as soon as Susan Boyle says that, she's laughed at. I mean, literally the audience laughs at you. You see the, you see the, the disregard in people's eyes. And she stood here in front of thousands of people and four judges in a lonely place being laughed at but she had something that even the most biased and unpleasant group of people couldn't deny she had something up her sleeve that no one knew about her that was about to blow the minds of everyone there something which stopped them in their tracks susan boyle could sing and really really sing and when her voice is unleashed, the doubters and the judges have to massively rethink their opinions. And I just love the video. I love the change. There's a longer version of it. You just see it focuses on so many different people in the audience. And you just see their faces change in a slightly guilty way. But you just see this judgment melt away. And you go from sneering and judgy to joyful and appreciative. And in Simon Cowell's sense, pound sides <laughs> in his face. <laughs> well, that's not quite what happens in Acts 4. But there are some similarities because Peter and John are too are also faced with a sneering, judging audience who are desperate to write them off. And they're intimidated there. They stood there before, as I say, about 70 odd people, a frightening scene of the most powerful, uh, intimidating, clever, wealthy Jewish people in all of Jerusalem. And they all want their pound of flesh. And before Peter has even spoken, he's being judged as an enemy, as an upstart, and a pain in the neck. And then when he does speak, actually he's written off even further. Verse 13 tells us that although they could see the courage in them, they are judged, get this, to be unschooled, ordinary men. Ooh, ouch. (laughs) Unschooled, ordinary men. They're instantly considered as less important, less intelligent, not worthy of our attention. There's genuine astonishment amongst the Sanhedrin that these two nobodies could have caused such a kerfuffle. But despite the factors against them, just like Susan Boyle, Peter and John had actually had two very big things up their sleeves. Two very important things which were going to change the mood in that room. Firstly, verse 8, which is possibly the most important verse in the whole thing. And it kind of, the, the verse that sums Acts up really. It says this, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing more important than that in Acts. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as much as he might seem like an ordinary, unschooled man, he is much more than that. Here we have ordinary men who are filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus himself, the very person of Jesus dwelling within him, within them, and empowering them to say and do the things that have just caused 5,000 men to commit their lives to Jesus. A man who was executed by these guys weeks earlier. The Holy Spirit is in them. That's a heck of a thing to have up your sleeve. And guys, we have it. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We're going to come on to that more later. But what a thing to have up your sleeve. And the second thing they have up their sleeve is not so much in the sl- up their sleeve, but standing in the room with them. They have this healed man. The Jewish authorities can accuse and complain and write off these guys all they want, but they cannot deny for a second that there is a man standing in the room in his 40s who has never walked a step in his life, who's who's spent years begging outside their place of worship and being ignored and cast down. He's suddenly standing there, walking there, leaping there, praising God there in their presence, right before their eyes. And like when Susan Boyle sang, suddenly the evidence is right in front of them there's this undeniable thing happening which despite their initial scepticism, they can't write it off. And that's why in verse 7, the very first question they ask is not what do you think you're trying to do here. The question is, how have you done this? How have you done this? By what power, by what name have you done this? They can't deny it. But here's where they Vague similarities with Susan Boyle end. (laughs) Because in her story, her singing results in this mass conversion to the cult of Susan Boyle. She's celebrated, she's cheered, she's her life has changed, she gets a record deal and a makeover, and, and this new life is hers. She's an instant millionaire and a national treasure, kind of. But not so for Peter and John here. Filled with the spirit, Peter's played his card. He said to them, look, you're arresting us for doing something good. You're arresting us for healing someone? You need to know how this has happened. We've just changed this man's life and it's all because of Jesus. You need to understand who he is. You need to repent of what you did to him. He's the only way to salvation. But instead of this audience saying, well, you got us. That's got us. We're in. Give us this Jesus. No, they don't quite do that. They, they're in a bit of a pickle. Their response is different. They, they go away. They talk among themselves. They know that 5,000 people have just started following Jesus and this healing has happened. They know that if they keep these guys locked up, it's going to cause uproar. So the answer to this whole situation, stop it. (laughs) That's what they say. No more of this, thank you. We've had enough of this preaching nonsense. We've had enough of this Jesus. Stop it. You're not allowed to do it anymore. We don't want this going any further. So that's enough. Now play nicely. Now, six weeks ago in the story, that probably would have been it for Peter. That would have been enough for him to turn tail and run. To go and crawl back under a rock. To fear for his life. And to never speak the name of Jesus again. But that was old Peter. That was before the Holy Spirit, Peter. This is brand spanking new, filled with the power and presence of Jesus, Peter. And his response is to say this in verses 19 and 20. Look, you're telling us to be quiet. But God has told us to do this, who do you think we're going to listen to? And in any case, even if we wanted to stop, we couldn't. Because such is the power and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in us. We're not in control of this. He is. It's quite a remarkable statement and it's an incredible test case for us. We sometimes get, as Christians, we see Christians living in oppressive regimes and under immoral governments, like some of the people that Kathy's told us about this morning. There's passages of scripture which people might use to defend defend the fact that they're just going to obey the earthly authority they're under. Look, we better just do what they tell us. They're powerful, they're scary. We better just do what they tell us. We'll, we'll, We'll forget about this Jesus thing. But Peter makes a clear distinction here. Where earthly authority is contrary to the expressed commands of God, there is only one winner. We follow God before we follow any man. And Jesus himself had commanded the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and preach the gospel, to go and tell everyone about him. That was the only authority they were under. Didn't matter what the Sanhedrin said, didn't matter the cost, they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to follow the command of God. They submit to God and they live with the consequences, knowing that they're being faithful. But nevertheless, the minds of the Sanhedrin... And not changed in this instant. And they leave Peter and John in no uncertainty. And they follow up this request to stop with threats. The, the passage says they send them away with more threats. So what comes next? We're going to read the last eight verses of, uh, of this chapter together. Verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together In prayer to God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This final chunk of this passage is my favourite because it's got so much to tell us about how we respond to persecution, how we tackle adversity as a church and about how to pray and to persevere because here we have Peter and John released. They're told to keep quiet, they're threatened with various nasty things and they go back to their base, they go back to their fellow believers. And they tell them everything that's happened. And the response is rapid and decisive. They have a prayer meeting. (laughs) They have a prayer meeting. It's natural. It's quick. It's effective. And full of the Spirit. They raise their voices to God. They cry out to him and he meets with them powerfully. This prayer meeting, I believe, has so much to teach us. Firstly, about how they pray, and secondly, about what they pray. Let's look at how they pray to, uh, first. Because f- the thing they do is they pray together. They pray corporately. Their reaction is not to run off to their own rooms and get down on their knees and have a quiet time. They don't send Peter off and say, go and spend some time with the Lord on your own and then tell us what to do. And try and come up with a plan. No, instantly, in unison, Together. They raise their voices to God in prayer. This is the body of Christ, united, functioning as one in their mission and their reliance on God. And they also use God's words as they pray. I think that's really important. They call on God to fulfill the promises he's already made them. They turn to Scripture, in this case it's actually Psalm 2, to be precise, and they clearly value the Psalms as the inspired Word of God. They acknowledge their belief that David must have written this Psalm, it says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who they are now getting to experience themselves. Why don't they jump to this Psalm in particular? Well, because they see in this Psalm what's being acted out before them. They're experiencing the plotting and kings and rulers, the scheming of enemies, the desperate attempts of authorities on the earth to snuff out their attempts to preach the gospel. And so they remind God of this. and say, look, you said this would happen and now we need you to deliver on what you say in the rest of the psalm. Because in the rest of the psalm, it's not in the passage. But it tells us that God laughs at these attempts because he has his own ruler. He has his own king that he is enthroned and that he is better than any other authority on the earth. And so they tell him, look, this oppression is here. Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews, they're all conspiring against this Jesus. They're all rejecting him. You've got to do something. You said you would. You said it right here in your words. And I think this is such a great way of praying. They know God and they know his word. And so they pray to him in line with it. They assume that God is a God of truth. And so they just ask him to act in accordance with what he has already said he'll do. Why do I think we've got so much to learn with this? Well, because I think too often our prayers are self-centred. And they're about what we want. And they're about trying to get God to align to what we want. Whether God has indicated that in his promises or not. And then we get angry with God for not delivering what we want, which he might not ever have promised to us. I remember, I'm sorry to pick up, it's Rachel in the room, Rachel Lewis. She out of the room in kids' work. I remember really well. She gave a fantastic preach on, on singleness and her journey with that. And she had a great illustration of this where she said, she won't mind me sharing it's on the website anyway, but she said actually from a young age, she wanted a husband and five kids. And over many years, she basically decided that that's what she was going to have. And it didn't happen. And she got angrier and angrier and angrier. With God, God, where's my husband and five kids? where's my husband, all my friends are married off, they're having kids, I want my husband and five kids, until one day God gently reminded her, Rachel, when did I say I was going to give you a husband and five kids? That's what you wanted, it's what you told yourself you were going to have, I've never promised you that, and you have no right to be angry with me for not providing it, and actually that changed Rachel's whole way of thinking, a whole way of life, and it brought her to a place of acceptance with what God did have for her, and to love that, And she's doing an amazing thing in fostering and walking that road of singleness as a wonderful mother of a of a child. Praying this way, using the scriptures, reminding God of what He's already said, already said He's going to do. I think it helps us to avoid the terrible mess of frustration with Him when we when we ask for what He hasn't promised and get frustrated from Him not delivering it. It's hugely important to pray scripturally to pray with the Bible, to use the word in our prayers. You can't fail. You can't be disappointed if you ask God to do what he's already said he's going to do. And he's said he's going to do so much. So much. So that's the what. That's the how they pray. What about the the what? I think the what they pray is even more fascinating. Especially in the context, again, of what Kathy told us this morning about those who are facing 245 million. One in 10. That's probably, you know, 10 people probably in this room who have experienced, would be experiencing persecution in Christianity. Look carefully what they say here in verse 29. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word of great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I think this is a remarkable prayer. Because I think... My first instinct, maybe your first instinct in this situation, when I'm, if you're being forcibly silenced with threats against you, being told you can't preach the gospel anymore, I think my prayer would be, God, stop this from happening. Change the hearts of the authorities. Stop this persecution. Release us to preach your word, God. Rescue us. Sort this out, God. This, this, this persecution's got to stop. Please, God. You know, that's not what they pray. In fact, not once in that prayer do they ask God to change the situation. They do not ask the persecution to stop. They ask God to change them. They ask God for more for them. They already know that they're doing what they're supposed to do. They know the commission that Jesus has given them. And they know that they're doing it. They're preaching the word. And so they simply ask him, God, help us to be bolder. Help us to be bolder. We trust the mission you've sent us on. We trust the power you've given us. So just make us bolder to step out in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, that's, again, that's remarkable. I mean, they're asking to be bolder and more effective. Bolder and more effective than winning 5,000 converts in a week. Wow. <laughs> bolder and more effective than seeing unbelievable growth. It's bonkers. I think we've got so much to learn from this. So often we find ourselves crying out to God to change our situation, to change this, to change that, to stop this, to start that. And it's not always wrong to ask that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that those prayers are always wrong. But I do think there's something here. How much more fruit might we see if we spend the time asking God to change us? Asking God to do more through us. Asking God to keep the promises he's made to us to give us power, to give us authority. We, unbelievably, by his chosen instrument. He's chosen to do this through us. He could have built a church any way he wanted. He could have spread his gospel any way he wanted. He's chosen us. And so our prayer needs to be like the disciples. God, help us. Help us do more. Help us be bolder. I'm not trying to go all introspective about here. I'm not, I'm not going the way the society is going. It's all about me. It's not about me, what I've got inside me. I can do anything. No, it's about the spirit of God in us. Just hear that distinction. We're recognising the power of God in us and asking God to make us act in accordance with it. We're asking God to open up our hearts and our, our minds to see the potential that the spirit has through us. So our prayers, I believe, a big part of them need to focus on reminding ourselves of what he's asked us to do, what he's promised to give us. And for the boldness just to follow that plan, to keep going, to press on. That's what so, uh, so many of the people that Kathy's told us about this morning are doing. They're not giving up. You'll notice they're not stories there of people giving up. They're stories of people battling on because they know. as One of the people said, what else would I do? I've got to share it. I've got to tell my friends. They need to know. So I'm not going to give in. And so this prayer meeting had a huge effect in fact, it says the room was left shaking as God answered their prayer. They'd only just had Pentecost. They'd only just had this radical experience of the Holy Spirit. And it says God fills them again. There's one for you. How often do we ask God to fill us again? Do we think, oh, I've baptized in the Spirit once, so that's enough, I'm once baptized, always baptized, don't need to keep asking for the Spirit. They've just had Pentecost The most radical infilling of the Holy Spirit ever. And a week later, he comes and fills them again. We need more of the Spirit, guys. We need him every day. We need him, as Andy said today, the the God prod. I love that, I'm going to use that one. God prod. Like, God, we need to ask you for help every moment, every day, every situation. We need more of you, more of you, more of you in our lives. I think this is massive for us. I think this should spark our hearts. It should spark us into action. It should call us to prayer together. Don't you want to be part of a prayer meeting like that? Don't you want to pray together and feel the room shaking? Don't you want to be filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit and then go out in the power and speak boldly through him? It's so powerful. And yet, when I look at the church, and I don't just mean Freedom Church, I mean the church in the whole of the UK, if you speak to any pastor, they will tell you that the number of people you have at your Sunday morning meeting, you'll probably see a third of at your prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. I know that's true of us. I don't say this to condemn, but it's true. I look out and see 60, 70, 80 people this morning, but I know on a Wednesday night we'll probably see 20, 30. That's how it is at the moment. And yet, as I see in Acts, I see a church fueled by corporate prayer gatherings. I see a church that thrives on calling together for God to act and expecting him to show up. I'd say, I dare say in Acts, the focus is more on corporate prayer than it is on personal quiet times. I'm not saying that quiet times aren't important, they are. You need to have your personal time with God, but in Acts, you don't see much of it. It's all about the corporate. It's all about joining together in prayer. It's all about calling together for God to act. I think we need to get better at this. The whole of the UK. And certainly here at Freedom Church. I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone. We need to value our corporate prayer meetings. And our last church in in Leeds, we called that prayer meeting Powerhouse. That was the name it was given because it was the engine room of the church. That's what it was called. Bit cheesy, but it's so true. It's where the power comes. It's where the engine cogs turn and fuel everything that we go for. That's certainly what you see in Acts. I think God wants to stir us this morning on this church. We spend a lot of our Sunday mornings, in our preachers even, appealing to people on an individual level, asking people to listen to God and make an individual response to help us grow personally, and that's all good, that's all fine, and we need that. Today, I think I'm asking for a whole church response. We know our mission in Liverpool. We know it. It's the same mission that the disciples had in Jerusalem. It's to reach the lost. It's to make disciples. It's to spread the truth of Jesus. We're to tell this city who he is. And we could spend an awful lot of time asking God to change Liverpool, to soften hearts, to change attitudes, to break demonic strongholds. God change this city when actually I think this passage teaches us God change us <laughs> empower us to go and do what you've already told us to do I just think we've sometimes miss the fact that we've already got his presence we've already got his spirit in us, he's given it us and he has said you will have power as a result so today my prayer, I don't know about your prayer but my prayer God make us bolder Make us bolder. I want this city to change, but I believe you asked us to do that, mm-hmm. and you've empowered us to do it. So let's get on and do it. let's be stirred, let's be fueled by his spirit, just as Peter and John in the early church were fueled by his spirit, and as we do that, as we step out in the power of His spirit, this city will not be able to resist. The loss in this city will not be able to deny as we share stories and show examples and evidence, just as Peter and John did, of the power of God at work. We've heard it this morning with Jean, the power of God at work, healing, healing in our midst, in our our Sunday morning meeting. It's happening, and you can't deny it when you see it. We've just got to be bolder about sharing it. Let's um, Let's respond. I do think there's a call to respond as a church. We're going to stand in a minute. We're going to pray together. We're going to respond as a church. There is a couple of things you might just want to respond to individually as well. And the prayer team will be over that way. Yes, that way. I want to ask you this morning, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, whether for the first time or just recently, I believe there's a call. There's an invitation to be filled again this morning. Maybe baptized for the first time, maybe refill just as the disciples were a week after Pentecost. There's an opportunity this morning. We would love to pray for you for the presence of God in your heart for that power of God in your life this morning. And secondly, just if there's anyone here this morning facing a situation where you've been asking God again and again and again to change that situation, change it, God, and you've not seen it happen, I just put the question to you this morning, not to condemn, but just to ask. Maybe it's time to ask God to change you in that situation. doesn't apply everywhere. Use this advisably. Test it with, with wisdom. But I believe maybe there'll be someone here this morning. There's an alarm bell going off. Maybe where persecution in particular has been involved. Maybe where there's unbelief in your family. And as you've been praying and praying and praying and asking God to change. Maybe God this morning wants to give you fresh boldness. Fresh reminder of his power through you. Let's ask God this morning and see what he wants to do. Can we stand? I'm going to pray for us together. Um, let's have a response to this, guys, as a church, and then there's a chance to respond individually. As we respond? Should we hold our hands up to the Lord? And let's just ask him for him to fill us. Lord God, Lord God, I thank you for the early church. I thank you for Acts. I thank you for the incredible things you did and are doing through your disciples. And Lord, we come this morning faced with a, a mammoth task. A commission, Lord, to change the city. To see your kingdom rule expand and increase over Liverpool. And Lord, as we look at it, it's huge. We don't even know where to start sometimes, Lord. And we we pray and pray for the city to change. And Lord, I believe you reminded us this morning that you've chosen us to bring that change. And not because we're particularly gifted or special ourselves, but purely because you have put your spirit in us. Lord, you promised power. You promised authority. You promised the presence of God in our lives. And today as a church, Lord, we just recommit ourselves to that. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your spirit. And Lord, will you make us bolder? Will you make us bolder, Lord? Lord, Even, even as we go out of this building today, Lord, will you put us in conversations, Lord, where we can't, we can't help but speak about you. We can't help but operate out of the the power and presence of your spirit in our lives. Lord God, make us bolder. Lord, help us to just recommit, Lord, to the power of, of prayer together. Lord, will you shake our prayer meetings? Will you shake us? We help us to pray in line with your promises. Help us to hear your heart and to just love you and worship you and trust you for that. Lord God, we need more and more and more and more of you. And thankfully Lord, we know that you, you're willing to give it. So we just ask you now Lord God, break out amongst us, fill us to overflowing. And help us to do everything that we do from that overflow. Not trusting ourselves, but trusting you. Trusting you, God. Holy Spirit, just fill us afresh now. Just pour out on us, Lord. As we lift your name. As we worship you. As we declare you again, the king of our lives. In your mighty name, Lord God. Amen.